I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. GM, I'm Dan Roberts. And I'm Jeff Roberts. And this is GM GM from from Decrypt. All right, Jeff, GM, here we are. We got People Pleaser. I'm so glad we're having her on. GM Dan, a.k.a. the artist Emily Yang, but better known to the world as People Pleaser. It's a good one. She's made a big splash with the cover of Fortune and basically has pioneered crypto art and done a heck of a job with it. Yeah, and I want to make sure all of our listeners know, because I don't just want to assume. And I love, you know, I think as we go along here with the podcast, I think we've got some crypto diehards who live and breathe this stuff. But I also like to think we have some newbies and newcomers and mainstream folks She came to prominence, Emily, aka People Pleaser, about a year ago when an ad that she did, so this was, she was paid to do an ad, this was marketing, for Uniswap, the decentralized exchange Uniswap, was then sold as an NFT and sold for more than $500,000. And it's, so it's a short animated video and she did the art and it's very visually pleasing. I mean, I I love the, the little clip. And that's where it all started. And I just think that's so unique and cool that her first big art sale had actually started as a commissioned ad. Yeah, and a lot of the art's just beautiful. It's lively, it's colorful, it's fun, it's positive, you know, which is which is nice. But also, I, you know, I look forward to asking her about, like, she lives and breathes crypto, so, and is sort of on the cutting edge of NFT culture. So I want to ask about some of her inspirations for her art, where she sees it all going, and, you know, what she's doing with DAOs. So we've got a lot to jump into here. Yeah, totally. And she's definitely in that top tier. I mean, again, we're still so early, but I think that when people talk about NFT artists, the top, top of the conversation is, you know, people and people pleaser. I mean, to me, those are like, have become the two kind of poster children of the, of the NFT art wave. So she has already achieved that level, but let's make sure we ask her, you know, who are some of the up and coming artists that are, that are more under the radar? Yeah. And if someone wants to be an artist like her, that's, that's, let's put that to her too. Okay. Well, let's, let's get to it, Dan. Uh, let's welcome people pleaser. Let's bring her on. All right. People pleaser, GM. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. We at Decrypt have long been following all the news that you've been making and what you've been up to. And uh, I thought a fun way to start this conversation today would be to talk about your celebrity. I mean, you have become a, a crypto industry celebrity. Everyone knows People Pleaser. And this, it seems to me, happened so fast. I mean, I remember barely a year ago, covering the news of that first Uniswap ad where you did the art and it sold as an NFT. And now so much has happened. I guess I'd ask you, did you at all expect to be here two years ago? Absolutely not. I'm obviously just so humbled and grateful that the community have been so supportive. So yeah, it's definitely exceeded my expectations for sure. Yeah. Hey, Emily, it's Jeff. Um, I do love the stories reading how, you know, you had the, got the dream job at Apple, but then pandemic came and didn't get it. And life kind of sucks. And just sort of through hard work, you finally got your break, which is nice. And 
think you got a very good reputation in the crypto community because it sounds like it hasn't gone to your head. But I'm curious, like being famous, I confess, looks kind of cool. You know, money, everyone knows who you are. But has it also been hard? I mean, apparently it's sort of dark sides to celebrities. So, you know, the trolls, the other people coming out of the woodwork. So what's that been like? I hope this ages well. But so far, it's, you know, been pretty great. Like, and I think it's just because I'm not like so famous to the point where it's like annoying yet. But definitely everybody in the crypto community, I think specifically are very, very supportive and inclusive. And so I haven't met, you know, very many trolls or haters actually, as a matter of fact, which is really, really lucky. And I hope that continues to be the case. Uh, But definitely, you know, I think right now is a nice time where I just get to sort of be really involved with the community, but it hasn't gone to a point where it's like, you know, an invasion of privacy. I'm still like a small fish in the big sea. In the open sea, so to speak. Yeah. And and I was just going to follow up by asking, you know, when we write about you and, and write about news involving your work, we often just refer to you f- with shorthand as an NFT artist. And so to stick with, you know, the surprising path, I mean, you were an artist before you got into NFTs. And so does that moniker seem fair and accurate to you? Are you good with that? Or is it kind of like, you know, is there a risk now that you kind of get shoehorned as a crypto and NFT person? Whereas, as we try to explain, I mean, this is just one kind of new outlet and form for existing art. I mean, I'm completely fine with it. You know, I think people can call me whatever they want. (laughs) And, you know, truth be told, the crypto community has been sort of the one that launched my career. And so I think, you know, with all of the work that I'm doing, which is so closely tied to crypto on a day-to-day basis, it's, you know, completely makes sense that people are uh, calling me an NFT artist or somebody in the crypto community. And Emily, uh, remind us, are you based in uh, New York? Uh, Normally I am, yeah. But I've also basically, since uh, the pandemic was a thing, been quite nomadic as well. And so like I think many other people in the industry, I'm just bouncing around all the time. Yeah, a lot of that going on. The reason I bring up New York, obviously, is because it has a big art scene and a somewhat conservative one in some ways. And I'm curious, how has the traditional art world reacted to your success? There was a piece in the Wall Street Journal interviewing people where it described that some of the sort of traditional art, you know, people were, you know, didn't consider him legitimate or something, which seems sort of unfair. But I'm kind of curious what your interactions with the traditional art world have been. Uh, To be completely honest, I don't know that much about the traditional art world, and I never really saw myself as a traditional artist anyway. Even with my current pursuits in my career, I think I'm looking to always obviously amplify crypto to a broader community through my art. That is my medium. And I am digital by native, but I was never obviously involved with you know, like galleries or curators, uh, anything of of the traditional sense. And so it doesn't really matter to me what they think. (laughs) Yeah, I respect that. And, you know, just to stay on that topic too, and and maybe we're inordinately fascinated by this, but the, the kind of tension right now between the NFT and crypto art world and the larger art world, and then there are exceptions, right? I mean, there are physical galleries, hallowed, revered galleries in, in London that have now done NFT exhibits. I think that's interesting. NFTs that have been auctioned off by Christie's and Sotheby's. And yet, as we all see, I mean, you from being in it, us from covering it, there's such a visceral rejection by many people in many circles of all this, you know, crypto as a whole, NFTs, the concept of NFTs, the idea of paying a lot of money for NFT artworks, 
What's your current thinking on that? I mean, sometimes when I ask people this, I'm not trying to scoop your answer here, but sometimes they say, I just ignore that and I don't need to convince the, the skeptics. And I think, well, I mean, eventually if this stuff is going to get even bigger, there is probably some convincing that will need to happen, but maybe it will just happen naturally. Yeah. So I think in a similar beat, it's not that I feel like I need to convince people, but I do just feel like it's really, really early right now, you know, especially where NFTs are, you can think of it as where Bitcoin was in 2011 or something. And, you know, I think now compared to then, people are way more accepting of cryptocurrency and then course, NFTs being so new, I think it's just a natural sort of like progression. But at the same time, I like to just use my own life <laughs> as an example to show people the positive impacts that NFTs can have on the world through my own sort of philanthropy that I've done, as well as the fact that it's just given me a whole new chance at life and a career that I never would have had before. Right. And I feel like the reason why my story resonates with so many people is because I am literally a living example. You know, none of this is made up. Like all of my friends, my family, people in my life now think it's so crazy, you know, that I'm making like magazine covers and things like that. And, you know, making like Forbes 30 under 30 is something that I would have never imagined happened to me. So it's almost like a thing where you can't ignore that it's happening, you know, like even if you're, an NFT denier or just people who sort of absolutely hate the industry. You just cannot ignore the fact that your next door neighbor now knows what an NFT is. You know, everybody is talking about it. Any attention is good intention, right? And so that's the way that I kind of look at it. Emily, artists, you know, many of them, you know, their art is informed by the world around them, you know, for good or bad. And you know, the world around you is 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 crypto. So what what values do or sort of ideas do you draw from the world of crypto to put into your art? Obviously the with my start in DeFi, I think the concept of decentralization is really, really interesting and important to me, as well as the democratization of things. That's really the underlying ethos of all things cryptocurrency, right? And also things like proof of work. You know, I I like to see that people have learned the skills, have the knowledge, or are eager and passionate about something. You know, you can say that about the traditional art world too, but because it's so subjective, like, you know, how much work could somebody really have put into a blank canvas that sells for a lot and a lot of money? So if if there are people who are out there accepting that, then... It's not so ridiculous to say that they could accept things that are happening in the crypto and NFT world, especially with the sort of volatility of the assets. It makes sense that the prices could go really drastically up or down, you know? And so I think, yeah, there's just, for me, I think it's just like those sort of core values of the crypto community, like internet privacy, sovereign individual kind of values, as well as, you know, just self-custodying things and not being afraid to challenge the status quo are all things that I really, really believe in. I mean, I stumbled upon crypto in 2017. And before I was even working in here, uh, these were the things that really made me interested in the industry in the first place. Yeah, that's intriguing what you say about decentralization as a value. And I think the new communities and the new identities people build through crypto. And I certainly do see that in your work. But, you know, as with any sort of world, there's also sort of some, uh, you know, a dark side to to crypto there's scams there's predatory people you know it's not all you know rainbows and community although a lot of it is but is that are, have you ever thought of touching on sort of some of those those darker themes in your art i've always thought about it but 
I don't know, I guess maybe for me and my brand being like people pleaser, I like to keep my art <laughs> a little bit more positive and happy. But uh, contrary to popular belief, I think on the inside, I'm actually quite a skeptical, cynical person. And so there's definitely a lot of dark going on internally. Uh, but you know, I think I like reflect a lot about things. You know, the industry is definitely not perfect. There's a lot of bad actors in it, as well as uh, same with NFTs. You know, I think the sort of things like wash trading or people being greedy that are happening in the traditional art world or just in any industry in general uh, do carry over in NFTs. And, you know, it's hard to sort of stay optimistic when you see that kind of stuff happen. But on the other side, there is all this great stuff happening. And that's really more what my art is about. Because I feel like there's enough negativity that I sort of keep on the inside <laughs> that it doesn't need to be in my art. <laughs> but maybe one day, you never know. Yeah, let's let's stick with that about the industry not being perfect. I, I wanted to bring that up. A little over a year ago, you spoke at the Ethereal Summit for us when it was all virtual on a panel with another artist who's done NFTs, Finch. And um, you said something I thought was pretty interesting here, that Web3 in many ways is still being held together by duct tape. And you were talking about kind of the the imperfections and the issues with some of these platforms, even, you know, whether it's OpenSea or whether it's IPFS, you know, the places where in many cases the NFT really isn't being stored on chain. That was a year ago. How has your thinking evolved since then? What are the issues, especially in the NFT platform space as you still see them? Well, yeah, you know, this concept of decentralization is really a very, very idealistic one. As I've learned now a year later, I think I was still quite naive back in the day because I was talking about, oh, well, there's this new thing, Arweave. And, you know, if you dig a little deeper, Arweave links back to AWS, which is also not decentralized. Back in the day, a whole year ago? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I know. It feels like forever ago. And I feel like this quote about me saying Web3 is held together by duct tape is just going to follow me to my deathbed. But it's fair. I mean, it's fair. Anybody who has been using any kind of product or been interacting in the space would definitely resonate with that, I think. But same as how I was thinking about it a year ago, it's just, I think we're just early. There's still obviously so much work to be done. Most projects that are going on in Crypto or NFTs right now have you know a relatively small team, and you can't compare that with traditional Web two corporations that have you know hundreds or thousands of employees working on something. Right? It's just not at the same scale. So I always would like to remain optimistic. And if you think of oh, all of the best Silicon Valley, let's say engineers, who you're already seeing this happen, are quitting their jobs and maybe all eventually migrate over to Web three, then we're going to start to see a very very drastic increase in quality of the products and just UI, UX, things like that. But we're definitely not there yet. But it's okay because right now the space is a lot more about ideas, which I really love. And that's why I like networking with people in the space too. I call it idea sex, which is just (laughs) really talking to people and new ideas are born from talking to somebody that you wouldn't have. And this is just constantly happening in the space right now. And I feel like that's probably one of the most appealing parts of getting in this early. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I want to push you just a little bit more on on the specific current market leaders, right? Because something I like to say, whether it was you know Uber with rideshare, whether it was DraftKings with sports betting, is that the first player or the biggest early player will not necessarily automatically be the big winner, right? And so OpenSea right now kind of has this inherent lead in terms of brand awareness, market share with NFTs, but everyone's launching an NFT site. I mean, FTX is doing NFTs. Coinbase is going to do NFTs. There's Nifty Gateway. There's Zora. There's Foundation. There's Rarible. There's just so many of these now. It's a multi-horse race. And I guess I'd ask your take on some of the specific leading platforms. I mean, you're kind of marketplace agnostic, right? An NFT of People Pleasers Art could be sold on on multiple different NFT sites. There's Looks Rare. That's a, a newer one. But what do you think of some of the the leading ones specifically? And are there any that you think, you know, do something better or have a better brand than others? Yeah, there's, you know, obviously there's like the first movers advantage for OpenSea right now. And their sort of main advantage or, you know, like the mo- main pro that I feel using OpenSea is just that other people are using it. And sort of this underlying database is what's really valuable with them, right? Like all your friends are using it all, you know, you can see, I mean, technically that shouldn't be a thing because of the blockchain, but it is at the end of the day, the one with the biggest user base. And that is where sort of the value lies. It's, you know, you can tie it with like something like Instagram where everybody's using Instagram. So you're not going to use another app that nobody's using. Right. But <laughs> beyond that, I think I cannot say that OpenSea has anything else that's like super appealing about their interface. And it might be I think it's a similar situation with MetaMask too, where there's just was not that many competitors. And so maybe, you know, but maybe they're building really great things and, you know, we'll get to see it later. In terms of other marketplaces, you know, there's all, there's so many. The first one that I ever minted an NFT on was Rarible because I I liked the fact that they were permissionless. And so uh, at the time, you know, I also applied to Super Rare and I applied to Foundation, both of which did not... get back to me wow. <laughs> and, you know, let alone like something like Nifty Gateway. But, I, you know, I, I, de- I definitely feel like Rarible is sort of like the underdog where a lot of, not a lot of people talk about it, but literally since, you know, the summer of 2020, they've been doing things more correctly than other marketplaces, let's say. Like they were the first ones where you can mint your own contract as opposed to using the contract from the platform itself. And now you're seeing other marketplaces or Maybe parties, for example, like Manifold, who have popularized uh, sovereign contracts. But before that, actually, Rarible was already doing it and nobody knew about it, you know, or maybe people just didn't realize that was a thing. And I think it's like, and honestly, their, you know, UI UX was pretty smooth as well. So it's things like this that make me appreciate the platforms a little bit more. I like Foundations UI UX the best. I think it is the most sort of polished looking site and, uh, the whole experience is very smooth, but obviously, you know, like them, well, actually they removed the fee now, but for a very long time, they're taking 15% fee, which mm. is kind of high. Same with, I think super rare, but you know, I haven't even gotten lend to that platform yet. So <laughs> I haven't used it. I'm not really what? sure. 
There's obviously like other marketplaces and sites that I think most of them just have a lot of sort of polishing to do on the UI UX front. You know, if you're comparing it with like a web two website or app, it just doesn't compare, right? Like they like look very elementary. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. Like you said, it's a multi-horse race and I, I like, luckily just have the position where I can just sit on the sidelines and be like, oh my God, who is running in the front? Uh, I definitely, you know, appreciate the fact that Manifold has sort of educated a lot of creators on this concept of having your own contract and why that matters and what they're building is pretty interesting. And, you know, they're sort of headed into a direction where it's like marketplace lists where, you know, like if you're a creator, you can sort of set up your own site or shop and you don't have to go through um, some other like more centralized uh, marketplace. So I think that's interesting too. Yeah, Emily, I'd like to jump in. Um, no, I think it's fascinating the notion of these contracts becoming easier to use for artists and artists getting empowered by them. But sticking with the idea of big brands and first movers, I think we have to talk about Yuga Labs for a sec. You know, they're of course the ones who are behind a Board Ape Yacht Club and now they've sort of taken a piece of crypto punks and by far and away the most successful NFT brand to date. And this is probably a good thing. It sort of shows, you know, that this, you know, is in the big leagues and there's money and attention behind it. But conversely, sometimes it feels like these are, are kind of like rich overlords. And it's like, you know, a bunch of some of these people are not particularly welcoming or nice. And they just want to sort of show off their status thing. And then I think the issuance of the ape coin was kind of a cynical cash grab. So I'm a little torn on what is the role of like, especially in a world that's supposed to be decentralized. We now have mm-hmm. like yet another big entries in Horowitz backed thing with a lot of money kind of saying how it is and getting the first bite of everything. So do you, do you ever feel conflicted about Yuga Labs or entities like that? I think it's really hard to sort of put a finger or blame on any kind of things that happen this way. It's just the natural progression of things when something, it's a snowball effect of attention, right? When something gets more attention or more capital than other people will want to pile on with FOMO or things like that. And so I think for me, at least, I, I am a fan of board apes just because I minted them when they dropped. And so, you know, it was obviously a really good investment for me. I've also made other investments that didn't turn out as well. So <laughs> I think it's mostly a luck thing, but I, I, at least it's, it's inspiring that they are also helping propel crypto towards a more mainstream audience, even if it's, you know, like maybe you can think, oh, only rich people can own board apes now. But there are other people who had board apes since they were like $200, right? So there, there's definitely things that you can learn and take away from the things that they're doing right in terms of marketing and adoption. And then also, yeah, I think it's really hard to say something bad about the fact that they're like a power player and then now they're people like Andreessen and Horowitz are investing. I mean, that's just, I think, human nature where something is getting more attention and more success, then it just kind of like snowballs on. And so for me, definitely, I am a proponent of sort of like this whole like universal basic income, like very, very idealistic uh, sort of values that may not be realistic, but definitely are things that I would hope to see. And I think that's why also sometimes the NFT market depresses me. It's a very contradicting thing that I even say that because I myself have sort of so much attention and, you know, like such a platform to say things now, but at the same time, it makes me feel unfair on the inside that it's not like that for every creator, you know, because I want that to be the case, but I guess just as human nature goes, that's probably just not realistic or possible. That's a perfect segue though. You know, when you talk about the market and the kind of flaws in the market, because 
all that makes sense about apes, so much success, and that begets the attention, but also just a small portion, three or four or five collections get a lion's share of the attention, right? So whether it's apes, crypto punks, you know, pudgy penguins just sold, you know, doodles, cool cats. I feel like I could rattle off like the big five, so to speak. And, you know, the, the, the rankings shuffle day to day. But I wanted to ask you whether there are any collections that you admire or think have, have kind of gone under the radar. And of course, if you're behind one of those collections, I imagine you're just kind of waiting for that tipping point moment to hit. And you're looking at kind of the, the mainstreamification that apes and punks have seen. But any that you think people are, are sleeping on? Honestly, I'm not a huge collections person. And so I myself more collect one of one art or just like, you know, more unique art pieces that, you know, I just admire. And definitely for me, I, I'm really bad at flipping NFTs, you know. So for me, it's definitely more of a literal collection as opposed to, investment, I would say. And so, yeah, I cannot advise on any collections that I've had my eyes on because I think I'm slow to that just as much as everybody else. But I definitely love browsing for sort of up and coming artists and people who I think are talented, but don't necessarily garner as much attention. And I like to collect their work and hopefully bring more attention to that. That's also what the purpose of my vault collaboration with Steve Aoki is mainly doing for up-and-coming female artists. What are some of your favorite individual pieces? Some of my uh, favorite individual pieces are, uh, recently I collected a bunch of these from this female artist called Dead Seagull, and her work is really, really stunning. Anybody should go look it up. Like It's just so unique. And probably also this other artist who's now, I think, a lot bigger. Uh, his name is C.H.O. And for the longest time, I actually used one of the one-on-ones that I bought from him as my profile picture on Twitter. Those are probably, you know, I just like really like those aesthetics. And there's also other ones like there's this girl named Ivy and I bought these little cute uh, Pokemon collectibles from her. Actually, those were the first NFTs that I ever bought back in 2020. And so I really like her stuff. It's super cute. She's an artist for CoinGecko. And there's also another uh, one that I, Korean artist that I collected from called Ivory Emily. And her work kind of reminds me of James Jeans's work. And she's just a really sweet girl. And wow, when I discovered her, you know, nobody had like collected her work. So I thought it was a great opportunity. So yeah, I think those are probably like my favorite ones. Neat. Emily, it's fun to talk to someone who's, you know, in it for the passion of collecting, like, like an artist is, but I'm curious, you know, the, you know, since NFTs came out, the, you know, skeptics have been like, oh, you can't hang it on your wall, but increasingly you're seeing options to sort of, you know, curate and collect and display in new ways. So in your personal life, how do you sort of enjoy your NFTs or how do you show them people? I mean, simply on your phone or do you use other kind of formats as well? Most of the time I'm just showing people on the computer if there is that chance. I don't really think I ever pull up NFTs on my phone and there, unless there's a very, very specific reason to. Just because, once again, the UI UX for mobile apps for NFTs are so bad right now that I would just be looking for trouble if I did that. For sure. Um, taking us to, I, I think I have time for one or two more questions, but taking us to another direction, you've been uh, speaking of communities and crypto. Of course, you're part of a DAO. What's that been like? You know, in the sense that I'm fascinated by them, the idea of to constitute a community from anywhere, spin it up, give it money instantly. However, I've also waded in some of them and often is kind of like anarchy and chaos or sometimes little tyrants running around. So what's your experience with DAOs been and what advice do you have for people who, you know, want to get into that world? Maybe people shouldn't be joining DAOs if they want to make money or anything. You should really be thinking of DAOs like subreddits or 
you know, like clans and video games or something where you're just joining something because you align with the vision of everybody else and you think it's a cool community and enjoy talking to the people in that community. That's my sort of experience with DAOs and, you know, sort of like be cautious of things like tragedy of the commons, where if a DAO occurs a lot of value really, really quickly, there could be people who are trying to take advantage of that. Because I think even as of now, a lot of DAOs don't really have kind of like repercussions as in it's easy to onboard people, but you don't really hear of DAOs like kicking people out or voting people out. Just a few. Yeah, there's some contentious topics around that. And I think it's really interesting to observe, but definitely they're not at a point where they can function like companies yet. So I'm excited to yeah see people basically invent more infrastructure around that so that you don't have things like tragedy of the commons happen. Yeah. And sticking with Please Your DAO, I mean, which formed and, and bought that first NFT artwork, which I just still think it's so interesting that the artwork was an ad, you know, an ad for Uniswap that they hired you to do. And it was this video. And I, I love looking at it. I mean, it's, you said earlier, you feel like you, you kind of hew toward the positive and it does make me feel good. So just FYI, I mean, I love kind of the, the colors and the pop there, but also a big thing I see in all your art, I mean, especially that Uniswap one, but is memes you know, memes and references to crypto inside jokes and whether it's, you know, Pepe the Frog, that kind of stuff. And I, I there's something there, I think, you know, there's something there as, as the industry continues, like the symbols that are so recognizable. And even the fact that every DeFi protocol or coin project or DEX now has a logo. And in many cases, it's an animal, you know, whether it's a fox or a unicorn or a frog or a pancake swap or, or a bunny rabbit, right? Like everyone has to have their kind of aesthetically pleasing little branded cartoonish logo. And I, I guess I just wanted to ask you about that and whether, you know, there's any thinking that all the art that uses that stuff is, is very rooted in the now, right? And it also speaks to certain people more than others because they they recognize that imagery. They know that that visual language of crypto. And is that interesting? Is it changing? Is it problematic? I think it's all sort of main concepts of marketing, really. You know, even if you look at let's say a Pixar movie, right? All the main characters always have very, very distinct characteristics. And the reason for this is because it's easier to remember. You can't have something be iconic, but also forgettable. And so I think with branding, it's like very much the same thing when people adopt like mascots or icons, it's really just trying to sort of imprint that image in your head. And about the memes thing, I think memes are just have fascinated me for such a long time. They're the fastest way to spread information. And obviously if you're, let's say a company or you have an agenda and memes are also probably a really valuable asset to you if you can attain one, because yeah, like I said, it's the fastest way to spread information and uh, memes on the, on their own are very, very efficient marketing tools. Right. And so I think it's only natural that, the community or these brands are, you know, have so much of that and they're sort of like marketing and branding, as well as just the fact that I think most people who are in crypto and NFTs are very, very internet native. And this is not a new concept to the community, right? If you've been on weird internet corners like Reddit or 4chan, you'll know that memes dominate and people have a very, very specific culture and crypto Twitter is actually not that different. We're talking about brand here. I wanted to make sure that we ask you, and you alluded to it earlier with, you know, people pleaser, but how did you come up with your own personal brand, that name? What's the thinking behind it? 
Uh, it really is just my personality as a people pleaser. And so when this was preceding my sort of whole crypto career, I had was just making my art Instagram and thought that I needed a cool artist name because my regular name is boring. Also not good for SEO. And then, yeah, it was just one of those things where just to spur of the moment, I was like, ah, oh, well, this is my personality. So I'm going to use this as a name. And I can always change it later because I didn't, I actually wasn't in love with it. I was just like, oh, it's just like a temporary thing. And then I didn't have time to change it. <laughs> now it's kind of stuck. But thankfully, purely by accident, people always tell me, oh, wow, like, I love your brand. Like, it's so clever that you chose that name. And really, it was not super intentional. So lucky me. <laughs> well, we like it. Um, Emily, let's end like this. Um, you are a successful NFT and crypto artist. And I think, you know, two years ago, that's didn't exist. So this is super cool. But what advice would you have for other young artists, young women who want to sort of follow in your footsteps and kind of, you know, maybe make a living like you do doing art for the crypto scene? I think first, you need to have an appetite for risk. You cannot be a conservative person. Also, you know, as much as I, I am very, very lucky that I happen to be in the right place at the right time, but it also wasn't completely an accident either. Uh, when I was sort of involved with, you know, DeFi animations and stuff. That was more, you know, as a consequence of me being unemployed. And I was really lucky to have that. But every sort of animation and even behind the scenes video that I was putting out at the time was with the intention of sort of growing my brand and how to garner more attention. And then when I realized that NFTs were really blowing up, you know, I, I started to have this sort of I saw that there was this, you can call it a giant wave or a tsunami that was coming. That was like NFTs, you know, you're like in DeFi land and then you're seeing this giant NFT wave. And so, you know, I, it wasn't by accident. Like I did work really hard all the months prior to that working to get my name out there in the crypto and DeFi community. And so you could say that I sort of worked hard to position myself to be able to also catch the giant wave that is NFTs. Or as I like to say, sometimes it's, like I felt like I was holding my baseball bat and I was watching the ball drop and I was like waiting for the right moment to hit the ball. And uh, obviously I think part of the Uniswap decision to drop it as an NFT was also fairly calculated. And I guess I hit a home run. <laughs> so uh, that was very lucky. Obviously all the serendipitous stuff that happened, like please your doubt and stuff were pure luck, I think, but I did work very hard beforehand to position myself. And so my, my advice to people is just like, you can be in the right place at the right time, but you still need to sort of have first a high risk appetite and also be able to spot when something is coming or trending and just sort of put yourself in a position where you can catch lightning in a bottle. Lightning in a bottle. I like that. This has been great. Emily, people pleaser. Thanks so much for coming on. Great chat. And we'll be closely tracking everything that you get up to at Decrypt. Thank you. This has been GM from Decrypt. I'm Dan Roberts. And I'm Jeff Roberts. GM is a Decrypt podcast produced by Red Rock Music. Our executive producer is Red Yoakum. Our associate producer is Emma Martins. And our audio engineer is Enrique Inahosa. For more from Decrypt, go to decrypt.co or download our mobile app. Subscribe and review us wherever you listen. And we'll meet you back here next time for more crypto conversation. GM. GM.